Today on the show, Christ or crown, seven new saints, how did Jesus deal with the difficult, our picks of the week, and so much more. The Catholic Underground starts now. That's right. It is time for the CU Weekly, the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that do matter. This is episode 381. You know me. I'm Kathleen Lee. Father Chris is still, still on sabbatical. But joining me this week, as always, are Olivia Galino, Associate Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. Olivia. Hello. So good to have you. I, I love, I, like, it's ladies' night tonight. It's me whoop, and Olivia. And, whoop, and, and Jeff. Jeff. And Jeff. <laughs> Speaking of, Jeff Blackwell, our Technical Director <sighs> of the CU and Commandant of the Jeff Star One yes. Near Earth Orbit Satellite. Out my window here. And Look at you. I don't mind being one of the girls. <laughs> we like having well, you. And, and, Welcome and, and to our cor- slumber party. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. then, uh, Eddie Ball is over here. Yeah. They, uh, In the ball pit. Ed yeah. Ball, we have uh, so we got good our, our video director. And uh, we are back. We're back oh, yeah. after we've we've had several weeks off. Um, it's it's crazy when we're one main man down, Father Chris. <laughs> yes, and things just go everywhere. Complaint. Yeah, no. and so we you know we've had a couple of of you know weeks where we've had some some stuff going on between the four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are super excited to be back tonight um, with you guys. We're so yeah. glad that you are here. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sticking in with us. If you're watching on Facebook, welcome. If you're listening on the radio because people still do that they listen live to the radio mm-hmm. good to have you yes. if you're listening in the podcast form in the future in the future you future people <laughs> weird uh, mm. that's heavy oh it is a little bit I, I need to to justify being one of the girls yep and, and this really happened because my my <laughs> wife was planning a baby shower with other people and she's one evening she was saying look we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and, and i said diane really not to be rude but i i don't care so <laughs> she says oh come on i don't have anybody to bounce it off of i said so you want me to be one of the girls yes but just for another other few weeks and so i, I and i'm I sure you you have done marvelous beautifully yes <laughs> oh you should have seen some of these baby bottles we created for the table that was so cute <clears throat> anyway back to our program awesome. yes indeed okay speaking of ladies and and girly things yes. um olivia did you ever want to be a princess when you were growing up I wanted to be like the Mia Thermopolis kind of princess. Oh, okay. Like huh? kind of awkward, kind of dorky, but yeah. still a princess. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I will like say that. that. Yeah, I have a secret. Like, um, I may act kind of non-girly. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes I, I, I think that's true. Okay. But there is a glitter sparkle. Uh, yeah, if you're I watching don't... online, there my my laptop case is sparkle glitter. It is. Pink. And um, there's a there's a side that you may not know about me is I wanted to be a princess with all the th- the frills, mm. all of it, like like the ball gown. Yes, the- my senior prom dress. I had to like I needed people to help me carry it. <laughs> it was fluffy and fantastic, and I always wanted to be a princess. But I have a story about a princess. Her name is Alexand- Princess Alexandra of Hanover. Mm. She's a member of the royal family of Monaco. And she has reportedly been removed from her distant place in the British line of succession. Do you want to know why? I do want to know why. Hmm. Because she became a Catholic. Girl, get you some. Oh. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Shout out. What? 
So, I mean, I'm sure she's like number 25 in line or something like that. But right. she but she, she was in the British line of succession and she converted to Catholicism. That's awesome. Now, wow. because the British monarch is head of the Church of England, which is the established church, British law bars Catholics from succeeding the throne. So, so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's 2018. I know. So but interesting. I, mean, I love like I love old traditions like that. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody bucks them like this, it's oh, just yeah. like, whatever, I believe in the Catholic faith. This is awesome. Take your crown. Yeah. And it's not like she's a late convert either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Princess Alexandra is 19 years old. Oh, dang. Yeah. I didn't realize she was so young. Yeah. So this young age, she's like, you know, I want to be a Catholic. And that means, you know, it. and I don't know, like, it could mean that she just, you know, gave up her title and it was not that big of a fanfare. But it could also be kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. and and maybe not, she's not the first one who's done this. but you know, kind of scandalous. Yeah. Right? Um, she was actually born in Austria and was baptized as a Lutheran two months after she was born. And she is the daughter of Caroline, Princess of Hanover, and Prince Ernst August. Ernst August. Mm, of Hanover. Yep. Interesting. And through her father, she is descended from Victoria Princess Royal, the eldest mm. child of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Okay. So that would be, you, you can now address me as Kathleen Princess Royal. I like that. Princess Royal Benefactress. That's what, that's what I'll go by. <laughs> Is there like a hyphen in there somewhere yeah. or just all nope. one word? Just lay it all out just, there. All I'm right. going to I'm gonna add on. That'll be the thing. Princess Royal Benefactress. Mm-hmm. Now, Alexandra is also the granddaughter of Grace Kelly, mm-hmm. um, who in 1956 became Princess of Monaco when she married Rainier III. Yeah, nice. Prince mm-hmm. Rainier. And Grace Kelly was, she was, Amer- she was American. She was American. She was an actress, right? Mm-hmm. See? Okay, yep. I'm going to confer mm-hmm. to yeah. my elders. I, but yeah, I want <laughs> yeah. to say she was a nice. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to being in the, the British line of succession, Alexandra is 12th in line of the Monegasque throne. Now, Monegasque. what is that? What is Monegasque? It means of Monaco. So don't get too excited. It's just <laughs> not the gas oh. company in yeah. Monaco. It's the yeah. throne. Yeah. And so, so on top of being 19 years old, on top of being a, a newly converted Catholic, She's also a figure skater. Of course. Right? Sure. And has, I mean, who, I mean, like, Ice Princess goes all together. Oh, right? stop. So she's like a skating queen. She's wait, wait, not- wait, wait. I, I wish that we could, like, poll people on who remembers the movie Ice Princess. I mean, Uh-oh. it's true. If you're going to get out on the ice, you better wear a tiara is all I got to say. <laughs> all I got to say. Um, and she's actually represented Monaco in international skating competition. So she's not That's just, awesome. like a hobby ice yeah. Um She's the real deal? Yeah, she gets it done, right? Um, so the succession to the Crown Act of 2013 um, allowed heirs to the throne to marry Catholics. Hmm. So before, you couldn't even marry Catholics. Like, we just weren't allowed to be royalty <laughs> anywhere. That's nothing, no. Um, but the law still stipulates that the acting British sovereign mustn't be a Catholic. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where so, is she in her line for the, the Monegasque throne? She's 12th. She's 12th. Okay. I wonder where she was in the British throne. Yeah. Probably succession. way far. Yeah. Pretty far down. Well, I mean, because you've got, you've got, now it's William. Well, Charles. Yeah, Charles. Then William, Char- William, William. Poor Charles. He's never going to get a shot. <laughs> and then <laughs> Charles and then William. And George, then, Charlotte. Right. And a new baby. Isn't she pregnant? Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. She did have a third one. Louis. Louis. Louis? Oh, yeah. she had the baby. I don't yeah, know. I'm so confused. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. 
and then Harry, and then and his then, new baby. Right. So, I mean, we're like... Well, that's already... We're, we're like, like 10 deep now. Okay. Like, mm. So she had no shot. She, yeah. <laughs> there but, would have been a, a royal catastrophe for this to even <laughs> happen. But, but it's still, I mean, you know, that's got to be a hard... I, now, I don't know much about being royalty. Yeah. Um, not being one myself officially. But um, <laughs> but I would imagine that just giving up that title is mm. is a huge thing. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I would think of of you know let's say titles are not involved i know that in in a lot of families giving up your family religion Mm -hmm. is a big deal oh yeah well imagine like i mean we're kind of in rcia season now Mm -hmm. um or like Mm -hmm. inquiry season so imagine the conversations that are being had right now where people are becoming more serious in the rcia process and having to tell their families hey I, I want to be Catholic. Yeah. That's a hard conversation if you don't have like a political aspect to it, if yeah. it's just a familial thing, yeah. um, because you never know like what bad blood there is or, or, I mean, or just if there's some kind of, like you were saying, attachment to like the, the family, the religion of origin. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that. My dad was, my dad actually converted from, he was a Baptist. His, my, my mom too. You're like, yeah. yeah. His whole side of the family is Baptist and they were fortunately very, they yeah. are very supportive. Yeah. Um, and those are some of the best conversations I've had is with, with that side of the family talking about what do they believe and what do we believe mm-hmm. and how it's different. I've learned a lot about my own faith from them. Oh yeah. Which is pretty cool. I wonder if Alexandra would be like a little royal evangelist. Hmm. Well, she can't really officially wear a crown, but I still would. But she's still a princess, right? Oh well, yeah, I guess for Monaco. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how the Girl, double do thing. I don't know how the double dipping works, but you can get a, you can get a crown on Amazon. Just do it. <laughs> And as long as I the did. check clears, I mean, it doesn't really <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. sure. Well, so so the law still stipulates that the acting British sovereign has to be Catholic, right? And Catholic can't be, be Catholic. Um, yes. Mustn't be. Excuse Must me. Not. Missed the oh. word. Mustn't be Catholic. And Catholics have been barred from the English throne since the Act of Settlement in the year, drumroll please, 1701. So a long time ago, they decided we... a long time. We cannot... We, no go. You're no. out of here. Yep. So along with Alexandra, Princess Alexandra, Lord Nicholas Windsor has also been excluded from the British line of succession for becoming Catholic. Hmm. He is the great hmm. grandson of George V and was baptized in the Church of England, and he was received in the Catholic Church in 2001. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I, want, I, I would love to hear, like, her... Yeah, I haven't story. seen any interviews or anything with her um, di- um, about this directly. Yeah. And I guess maybe that there's... I don't know, political yeah. things where like she can't say certain mm-hmm. things, but I would love to know her motivations. Yeah. Um, like what was her experience? Yeah. That, that, you know, if, if it's such a, um, you know, and I'm sure they're not like, don't talk to any Catholics. It's not that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> but you know, if, if she, what, it, what was her exposure to the Catholic faith? Yeah. Like, what is it that drew her in that at, yeah. at, I mean, she's 19 when she becomes Catholic, mm-hmm. but this has got to been have been stewing for a couple years. Right. Like, yeah. what was your experience with that? Yeah, and I wonder if like she went off to college or something, because yeah. a lot of the royals. I don't know. I'm I'm speculating wildly, but I think a lot of the royals actually like will still go away to college or like yeah. go to university. So maybe it was something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. I, Do look, you know? Yes, Princess Alexandra. Listen, if you're out there listening, we need to know several things. One. <laughs> How do we become a princess? That's number one. Kathleen wants to know. I need to know. Officially, officially, because I mean, they're all about official now, whatever. Um, two, tell us your story. I would love to, I'm waiting for the book to come out. 
Yeah. I'm just, I'm waiting for that. Mm-hmm. 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 So we're all going to be royalty? We're all going to petition the, the Mo- Monegasque reign yeah. of royalty? I'm in. I'm, I'm we're Catholic. Y'all want us? I'm going to send them a letter. You know who else we're glad is, is Catholic and here? And maybe you're not Catholic, but we're glad you're here anyway. Yeah. You. And we are the Catholic Underground. Listen, when it comes to getting ro- getting royal, mm-hmm. I, I done lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Catholic Underground. We're online at catholicunderground.tv. I am Kathleen Lee here with Jeff Woo. Blackwell, Olivia Galino. Our picks of the week are coming up. But first, this is another thing that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little candid here with myself. Is I. When it comes to canonizations, mm-hmm. they sneak up like a ninja. Okay, well, the, I yes, because they don't announce it. And like, I just, if I have a bone to pick with the Vatican news, is that you, like they they speculate for months and years, even like, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. And then a week before, they like put it in one press article that they're about to canonize like some some big dudes yeah. and uh. women, and and they don't like like that's it. You have to find out about it through the grapevine. Anyway, that was my experience of finding out that Pope Paul VI and Oscar Romero, etc., were being canonized. And it was like three days before it actually happened. And then I feel bad because I'm like, I study theology. Like, this is my deal. I like I should know these things. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, yeah, we canonized seven new saints this month. I'm like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> new, wow. Totally knew about that. Tell us more about that. We have seven new saints this month. Now, they are. This is a list. So get ready. Archbishop Oscar Romero. You may mm-hmm. recognize him. Um, Father Vincenzo Romano. This one is my favorite name ever. This is a whole name. Sister Nazaria Ignacia de Santa Teresa de Jesus March Mesa. Yes, indeed. My title is going to be that long. I am, I'm getting there. (laughs) Father Francesco Spinelli, Mm. Sister Maria Caterina Casper, um, Nunzio Solprizio. It's Italian. I'll let you announce that (laughs) later. And of course, Pope Paul the six right so we have these seven like heavy hitters that came i mean probably didn't come out of nowhere but um beautiful beautiful stories of saints um that are are now modern day you know modern day saints so first we have of course archbishop oscar romero um he lived 1917 to 1980 so he is actually a modern saint and he is uh, he was the archbishop of san salvador in el salvador from 1977 until his martyrdom. Mm. Um, he has an incredible story. Um, he was an outspoken opponent of the political strife and injustice in his country. Um, although he didn't support libertarian theology, right? Yeah, the liberation theology. Liberation theology, yeah. I'm sorry. It was liberation really pre- theology. prevalent yeah. in the area at the time. Yeah. And so he, he did a lot of, there's a beautiful movie about him. Mm. Um, if you've never, that. like, if you want to know how to, how to be faithful in the face of injustice and people just, not liking you, you should watch this movie. It's called Romero. Hmm. Um, he was a, ordained a priest in 1942, and then he studied in Rome uh, for many years as a parish priest. And then he became the auxiliary bishop of San Salvador uh, and as Bishop of Santiago de Maria. Now, on March 24th of 1980, he was actually murdered hmm. while he was saying mass, right? and his assassins were never brought to justice. Hmm. Right? So it's this, this huge story of martyrdom. But how beautiful 
that he was doing what he loved to do. Mm-hmm. He was doing what he was called to do um, when he was called home. Mm-hmm. Right? And he was declared in 19, um, in 19, in 2015, uh, Pope Francis declared him uh, a martyr, right? And he was beatified uh, in May of that year of 2015 in San Salvador before a crowd of more than 250,000 faithful. Yeah. And so he's one of, one of the people that, um, you know, he has a great story of, of leading his people and just being faithful and doing what he was called to do. Um, and actually, simple. for the canonization last, last week, mm-hmm. um, Pope Francis was wearing the cincture, the, like, belt yeah. um, that Oscar Romero was wearing um, when he died, and it's, wow. it has his blood on it. It's, my, it's still stained my, with his my. blood. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? That's yeah. really cool. Yes. Yeah. That's really cool. Our second uh, new saint is Father Vincenzo Romano. Right? He lived... 1751 to 1831, um, and he spent almost his entire life as a parish priest in the area around his native Naples, Italy. Right, so he was ordained a priest in 1775, and he spent many years at the Church of Santa Croce. Yes. Yes. See. I can't say it as Italian as you people do, but it's there okay. It is. In his hometown of Torre de, del Greco, um, where he was given the name the Worker Priest because of his inexhaustible labors on behalf of his flock, especially the poor. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what's beautiful about these these first two guys is like, they were just doing what they what yeah. they were called to do as good priests. Mm-hmm. Man, and we need good examples of priesthood now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he famously helped rebuild uh, Torre del Greco um, after an eruption of Mount Vesuvius, a well volcano well in, ni- in 1794, and it destroyed most of the town, right? And he did what, what a... What a the dad should do, right? He rolled mm-hmm. up his sleeves and he got on out there. Mm. Right? And now we have Sister Nazaria Ignacia. I'm just going to go with that. You can save some time. <laughs> oh, come on. I know. She was a native of Madrid, Spain, um, and she was called to religious life at the age of nine. Oh, my gosh. Right? And she joined the congregation of the Little Sisters of the Abandoned Elderly. I've never heard of that. At the that. age of 19 in Mexico. Yeah. Wow. So she spent 10 years. She, she felt the call at nine. She spent 10 years discerning. And then joined this order. And she then she was sent to Bolivia, where she spent 12 years caring for the elderly. What a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. mission. Mm-hmm. Um, she later founded the Congregation of the Missionary Sisters of the Pontifical Crusade to proclaim the gospel and promote human dignity. Um, and so her labors took her to Spain, Uruguay, uh, and Argentina, where she eventually died. Wow. Um, yeah. Good night. Yeah, so we have a couple more. Yes. So we also have Father Francesco Spinelli. Um, so and pretty. he. <laughs> he lived from 1853 to 1913, um, and he was to a diocesan priest. Um, he was born in Milan. He was ordained a priest in 1875, um, and he had a really special devotion for the Eucharist, a real love for the Eucharist. And so he, you know, because of that, he helped to establish this community, this congregation of the Sacramentine Sisters of Bergamo with St. Geltrude. Comensole, never heard of her, um, that was devoted to the Eucharist and Eucharistic adoration. Um, and then he later founded another order, the, the Sisters Adorers of the Blessed Sacrament in Cremona, Italy. Um, and they have, you know, houses of those particular sisters in South America and Africa today. And I think it's really important to talk about him, not only because, you know, he was a diocesan, diocesan priest who just went with what he had, which was what the Eucharist, um, but I, I think that that's something that we you know, even nowadays, like maybe it seems trite or it seems um, trivial to, to say like, no, we need to return to the Eucharist, but seriously, we need to return yeah. to the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And so if there's nothing else that his witness gives us, it's that Eucharistic uh, adoration and a Eucharistic devotion will change lives, will we'll literally um, incite miracles. 
Um, and then we have Sister Maria Caterina Casper. Um, and she was a non-Italian, um, for one, but she's a native of, of Dernbach, Germany. Um, and when she was you know, young, she felt that call to religious life, but um, her family was kind of poor. Um, and so they, because of that, they needed her to stick around um, and not join this, uh, not join a religious order until later. But then finally, she was born in 1820. When she was 31 in 1851, she was able to join, to establish, I'm sorry, the poor handmaids of Jesus Christ to care for the poor, to care for the sick, and for children. Um, and that particular order of sisters then arrived in the U.S. in 1868, and they settled in Indiana. Um, right. So I'm curious to know, like, are they still around? Yeah. Um, but eventually that congregation, you know, went worldwide. Um, even more so, you know, so they were in the U.S., but then they went other places in Europe, Mexico, India, Brazil, Kenya, Nigeria. Um, so really prolific. And it's all because of their founder, um, Sister Maria Katarina Casper. Um, and then she later died in her native Dernbach in yeah. Germany. You know, when we talk about this idea of establishing an order, I think, you know, when we talk about saints and their lives and, you know, so-and-so was a martyr, so-and-so mm-hmm. was, a, you know, and they did all, you know, this, and we're like, okay, good, now you're a saint. Mm-hmm. Like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. For at the age of 31, which is around my age, <laughs> right, that she was just like, okay, I've taken care of my family, and now I'm not even just going to join an order and hope that one, you know, finds me or, you know, or says yes, um, but I'm going to establish my own, right? And not only am I going to establish my own in where, you know, right where I am, I'm going to establish my own, and then we're going to go out mm-hmm. to all over the world right that's that's a, like a feat in and of itself and i think you know when we read the stories of the saints and we're talking about what they've done with their lives we talk about these these priests who were just good solid priests and they mm-hmm. did what they you know but like that's incredible it's incredible work that these people are doing and you know they're saints for for a reason. Yeah. You know. Well, I love too that they're all seemingly kind of ordinary. Like, yeah. you know, nowhere have we talked I mean, yeah, we talked about Oscar Romero who was martyred. Yeah. Um, but like we're not talking about, you know, people who were like mystics. I mean, certainly we have that in the canon of saints. We have myst- people who experience mystical visions and all that. But I-, I love that when we when we canonize someone, first of all, it's we're recognizing that that like, they lived a life of holiness and that we can be relatively assured of their um, their their I don't know residence in heaven, yeah. if you want to call mm-hmm. it that. Um, but what I love about like the, this particular set of saints is that they do live or they did live kind of ordinary lives. They yeah. just did like you were saying, like they, they went about their business. And, um, and I think that's so important for us to realize because the reason that we call them saints today, the reason that they, they made it all the way to the canonization is because the people around them, that's how, that's how canonizations happen by the way, is, is people, um, have a, a call to the Vatican and say, and just, they don't let it up. Like yeah. you, if you, I don't know if you've ever met someone who has a particular like devotion to someone that they want to see canonized, they are all about yeah, it. Yeah. And this is like communities of people. And so you notice that like a lot of these people are just, they're diocesan priests, they're religious sisters who died where they were born you know they they did kind of ordinary things but they did them with great love and and that's the thing that people remember people people remember being loved and they want to see that they want to see that recognized and they also want that intercession uh in in life through their through their intercession after their after their death what's cool about our next guy is he like you may think well you have to be religious to be a saint i know a lot of young people 
think that. Right, right. This guy was not, right? No, yeah. So Nuncio Sospritio, um, he lived from 1817 to 1836, and he realized that's not a long time. So right. math, that's 19. He lived uh, until the age of 19, um, and he actually lived a life of, of great suffering. Um, he experienced some family tragedies when he was young, and then he was raised by an uncle who turned out to be physically abusive. Um, and the beatings that he endured through that man um, left him with a crippled leg. Um, and eventually he was rescued by another uncle. He moved to Naples and then he had bone cancer wow. and his leg was amputated. Um, and so in the, the region where he was, um, where he lived and where he was born in Naples, um, they called him our little lame saint. Um, but he was beloved. Um, he had, despite everything that he had been through, he had this great love for the poor and for the sick. Um, and then he, he did eventually die after all that suffering. Um, but he's remembered for, for offering it with, with patience and with love of Christ. And so he, one of his patronages now is for the disabled, cool. which I think is so, so cool. And yeah. I would say for the young, <laughs> he's 19, Yeah, right. not even two decades. Ugh. And then last, but certainly not least is Pope St. Paul VI. Uh, I'm so happy that he is now, uh, like yeah. officially in the yeah. can of saints. Um, because I mean, he, I don't know, he was kind of set up to, to be like this Passover Pope, um, because, you know, good Pope John was before him, John the 23rd, the one who, you know, inaugurated the second Vatican council. And then you got Pope John Paul II coming not soon after him, um, and, or not too far after him. Um, and so like Paul was pretty much set up to be kind of a bridge, you know, at least historically, but he wasn't, oh man, he was like, this dude was powerful. Um, his pontificate was dominated by the council, which ended under his, um, pontifical reign. Um, and also like the problems that were coming about, Mm -hmm. like trying to implement things from the the council. Um, and then of course there's the controversy over Humana Vitae, which he promulgated, um, in 1968. Um, and of, of course, like that, that document, that encyclical, um, had a lot of, uh, impetus for reform, a lot of impetus for, um, for rethinking the current, societal norms um and he but he held to it it was a difficult road to follow but he held to it um and he actually suffered you know spiritual torment in the face of all of that opposition no wonder um but he was today we can look at him as this valiant figure who really prophetically anticipated a lot of the problems that we have today um, but also showed us the courage with which we can meet them yeah man excellent i know um you know uh when pope john paul ii and pope john the 23rd 23rd. I never remember numbers. John the 23rd were um, canonized. It was such a big to do. Right. Because it was, I mean, of course, it's John Paul II and John the 23rd and, you know, and John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, like, you know, we were talking about it just throughout this story. Um, these are good saints, man. And these are good people and they have a story and they're saints for a reason. Right. And so if you, if you don't know about these saints, We'll post links in the in the show notes for you to go spend some time learning about them, learn about their orders, learn about their life, learn about, you know, you know, what else I'm telling you, you really need to watch the Romano movie. It's so good. So Romero. Good. Romero. I'm looking at Romano. <laughs> oh, when the saints go marching in. We're so glad that you are listening to the Catholic Underground. There's more on the other side of the break, so stick with us. A prayer for vocations. O God, who wills not the death of a sinner, 
but rather that he be converted and live, grant we beseech you through the intercession of the Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, Saint Joseph her spouse, and all the saints, an increase of laborers for your church, fellow laborers with Christ, to spend and consume themselves for souls. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Welcome back. You have found the Catholic Underground with me, Kathleen Lee, joined by Olivia Galino and Jeff Blackwell. Yes, indeed, up in space. Our picks of the week are coming up. We are so glad to be back. Olivia and I were just talking about <laughs> yeah. how excited we are. So we thank you guys for sticking with us yes. as we get our words uh, straight. Yeah, calibrated. I don't know. Yeah. But if you're still here, God bless you. God bless you. Yes. And if you are still listening in the podcast or Radio Land, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say as a point of clarification that the the saints, we can be sure, not relatively sure, but sure, are uh, now in heaven. And there's different ways of of being sure of that. But I just want to clarify that so I can get, get some sleep tonight. So. Good catch. Good Thank catch. You. We would have had to put that in the show. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Speaking of difficult situations, um, <laughs> yeah, there's always people in our lives. And, you know, and, and I always look to saints, you know, going back to the saints, I always look to saints who dealt with difficult people in their lives mm-hmm. with such grace and, and love and humility um, because that's not a natural gift of mine. <laughs> but... Olivia, Jesus has taught us how to deal with difficult people in our lives, right? Yes, indeed. And that's one of the things that, you know, so not only was Christ, you know, fully God, fully man, um, he is the, the, the Davidic savior, um, and in every sense of that, he wins our salvation for us, but he's also like a moral exemplar. And what I mean by that is, is he is, he's everything that we should aspire to be. Um, he not only embodies the commandments, but he puts flesh on them with the beatitudes. He puts flesh on them with the virtues and he, he doesn't just teach us them. Mm -hmm. He tells us how he doesn't just tell us how to live them. He, he shows us with the way that he lives and the way that he is. Um, and so everything that we have recorded in the scripture is an example of how we should live our lives. And a lot of it is kind of contradictory to the way that either seems, normal seems reasonable or maybe just seems natural to us um because i you know i got a little bit short temper sometimes and what? sometimes i just you know whatever and like there's there are times when uh, i remember being like a kid and reading something in the gospels that, that jesus was saying or doing and thinking like that's just okay yeah. No, like almost, there's no way. Yeah, but it's because my own weakness is coming up against Christ's perfection and True. realizing there's a big old gap between mm-hmm. those two things. Um, but you know, when we're dealing with with difficult people in our lives and difficult situations, a lot of times there's there's different reasons why those things are difficult. You know, it's not always um, on the other person. So sometimes it is. Sometimes um, things, some people in our lives may be difficult because they challenge us. Um, they, you know, they they. They represent something or they, they put in front of us something that we aren't or that we we aspire to be. But we're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. So they challenge us. Um, and maybe they're difficult because they're different from us in some way and in, in probably in a way that's at least a little bit irreconcilable. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe because we live with them. Close proximity can exacerbate a lot of things. Yes, indeed. You know, <laughs> I, I once had five roommates in college. Wow. And besides you. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it was only for a semester, and then I had three the rest of the time. But let me tell you, yeah, 
everything can be irritating if you give it a yeah, chance. Yeah, right? So yeah, so sometimes it's just close proximity with people that you love can can be a source of difficulty. Um, and sometimes it can be difficult because we're difficult because there's something about us that rubs other people the wrong way. So it requires us to be aware and cognizant of that. That's a stab in the gut when you realize that like you're the difficult one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you're like, oh no, this is like life shattering. Like, I know. Oh. No, sure. I know. I know. I remember like evaluating a situation in my apartment once and, and um, like like later in college and realizing that like the only solution or the only um, explanation for the current problem was me. Oh. And I was like, oh, great. Got to got to deal with got to no. deal with this one. Um, and then, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with difficult people, sometimes they're just difficult. Yep. Um, and in the words of a, a woman that I, I love dearly, you don't got to take them home with you. Sometimes you deal with difficult people and you do the best you can. And if they're still difficult, okay, yeah. Jesus loves them. Keep mm. on going. Um, but regardless of, of what the reason why, um, growing in holiness means that we can learn to accept the inconvenient, the incongruent, the bothersome people or events um, in our life. And, and not just as like necessary nuances, but as gifts. Because yeah. really like when you're encountering the other person, the only reason that they exist in front of you is because God holds them in existence. Yeah. And not only that, he holds them in existence. And he said, it is, it is good that you exist. Yeah. So if you're encountering another person, even if there's, you know, having a bad day or they're being difficult or their personality is just not something that you drive with, or you're having a bad day or whatever the reason is like that situation, that person is a gift. And so yeah. that should be at least in the, in the back of our minds, if not the front of our minds. All right. My, my, um, Instagram is loaded with all kinds of like Jesus he quotes all the mm-hmm. time because all my friends are are in ministry or, or yeah. Catholic. And so most times I just breeze through them and one keeps popping up that that uh it kinda it kinda hit me is um some I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of you will never um lay eyes on someone that God doesn't love. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. and and so yeah, so that idea of they may be difficult, but they are, they're, they're loved by God. And so how do we, how are we called to treat them? Yeah, exactly. Um, so Heather King, uh, over at Angel's News, she has something really beautiful to say on this. Um, she says, when we are open and receptive to all the world has to offer and all the world has to teach us, then everything becomes illuminated from within. Then we see that everything is or can be connected to our quest for beauty and order. Those are fundamental desires. She says, everything belongs, old dolls, decrepit diaries, discarded buttons, difficult people. And I think that's a really um, inspired way of looking at the things that maybe we don't notice, the things that we gloss over, or maybe the things that we wish we could gloss over, like difficult people. Mm-hmm. But she says that that everything becomes illuminated with from within, which means that everything becomes, and we, we see that everything becomes uh, an integral part of, of our, our desire for holiness. Everything becomes um, something that's necessary for us to, to be in the moment and to be Christ to others in the moment. Right. Um, everything begins and ends there. And I think that that's a beautiful way of looking at it. Like everything belongs. I love that word belonging yeah. because yeah. then it's not a matter of me like kind of sifting through my life and saying like, I'm going to take this out. I'm going right. to take this out or this is unnecessary or this is useless um, because we, we want to do that. We want to get to like a minimalist faith, yeah. mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just cluttered. Sometimes there's just stuff yeah. and you can't really get rid of the stuff. You can try to sort it as much as you want, but you just have to, to deal with the stuff. Yeah. You need it. Yeah. Um, and so, 
I don't know. I know that this can seem really like ethereal or really like far fetched. Like, oh yeah, okay, that sounds great. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with difficult people this week. But uh, it, se- it does seem like a tall order. But we can start by learning to deal with people uh, that maybe rub us the wrong way in in a Christ like way. And so we go to the scriptures um, because Jesus has no end to examples of how we can do this. Yes, indeed. And I love the first one. Um, so Jesus asks questions, which is. I was thinking about it as I was reading through this, um, and I'm th- I'm thinking about like yeah like that's not my first reaction of something to do when I'm encountering someone who's being difficult. What do I want to do? I want to convince them that they're wrong. I want to ignore them. I want to walk away. <laughs> I want to do anything but engage them in a dialogue because when you engage someone in dialogue, there's a an underlying uh, foundation of care of concern. Right. I care what you think, so I'm asking you what you think. Yeah, I found that with my students all the time. Yeah, like the minute I I you know, just because we do that, they're like, well, yeah, bye, you know, and mm-hmm. I checked out the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So we go to Luke 12, um, and in Luke 12, Jesus is, is asked to settle a family dispute, and he basically just says, you know, like, who do you think I am? What can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to note that that Jesus asks a lot of questions in scripture, um, and his questions were sometimes rhetorical. Um, a lot of times, most of the times, they were challenging. Um, and at other times, he was actually genuine, genuinely seeking feedback. Um, but by using questions, he emphasizes that he is open to the other person. I want to know you. I want to know what you think. I want to know what's in your brain, what's in your mind, what's in your heart. Um, and we, as human beings, if you think about it, we tend not to ask a lot of questions. Um, we assume things, we pontificate on things, we lecture, we observe, we interrupt, heaven knows, um, and we judge. Um, but we rarely make it a point to ask other people questions and actually like think about the last time someone has asked you a very intentional question. It was uncomfortable, right? Or you noticed it. Or you can remember it because I'm asking you this question. Mm -hmm. You can remember that time. And I know that there are certain people in my life who who do that regularly. And it's every single time. I can know them for years and years and years. And every time they do it, it's weird. Yeah. And and Mm -hmm. it's a good weird, but it's still like, ah. You also know know they're coming. You're like, nope, not today. Right. Because they have a lot of friends who do that. Um, They'll ask me, how are you? Good. Mm -hmm. No. How are you? Like, you know. Yeah. And then they always follow up with like, how's your heart? All that kind of stuff. But right, like, right, right. You know, I had a friend the other day challenged me on how's my prayer life. And I was mm-hmm. like, and I, I stopped texting him back. <laughs> I was like, nope, I'm done. I don't want to talk about this. Bones but yeah, died. it was like, yeah. it was to the point, to the heart. And it was like, I'm not, I'm, I want to know. Yeah. You know? And I love that because it's not only like accountability, like they're not just trying to be like the prayer police, but they're right. trying to like, they care about you. So they're like, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Or even like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I remember someone asked me a question, something like, um, like when you were 12, what was your biggest dream in life? And I was, and it was like a normal conversation and it just came out of nowhere. And I remember like, it just stuck with me. And I, number one, because I couldn't remember and it bothered me and I couldn't remember. But number two, that someone else wanted to know that information. It was so wonderfully weird. Um, but in using questions as a tool frequently, Jesus is modeling the behavior of a good communicator. Um, one who cares about the other person enough to engage with them, to challenge them. Um, and even in perhaps especially when they're being difficult. Um, because think about that too. Like when you're in an argument with someone or just maybe you're on the verge of a disagreement, if you start to engage them by saying like, okay, well, 
why do you, why do you think that? Or, yeah. or what made you, mm-hmm. what in my behavior made you believe that? Or what's wrong? What's really wrong? Like if you start to ask people questions, they get disengaged. Right. They get like, not disengaged, they get um, like disarmed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and it, it gives you an, a more level playing field instead of when, when everything's pent up and you're just like ready to butt heads. And the best people who ask questions like that are the people who listen to your answer. Right. Mm-hmm. So like there's a there's a an, an age old saying <laughs> in ministry that um, the majority of people don't listen with the intent to understand, mm-hmm. but with the intent to respond. Yeah. So especially when you're in an argument like there's this, oh, well, yeah. And you're already formulating your response, mm-hmm. even though you may have asked them a question like, are you really listening to what it is they're saying? Are you really getting that insight? Yeah, exactly. All right. So the second thing that we can learn from Jesus in the scriptures is that he's never cornered. Uh, and what we mean by that is, um, like, let's go, let's think about Luke six, you know, so Jesus is, is taking a walk on the Sabbath with his disciples. The therapies pop up out of nowhere, accuse them of all breaking the, bushes, the Sabbath. Yeah. The bushes, just-, just pop like daisies. <laughs> and they accuse them of breaking the Sabbath by picking grain. Cause mm-hmm. they were just walking along and picking, you know, little shard, I don't know what the word is, shards of grain, sticks of grain, whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. the grain. Stocks, and they were, whatever. stalks, thank yeah, you. Yeah. And they were just eating them, um, like the seeds, I guess. But Jesus is kind of unflustered. He's like, uh, you know, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, so give me <laughs> yeah. your best shot. Yeah. Um, he's never scared of the people who try to slip him up or think the worst of him because what other people think is not his focus. He's mm. the truth, right? Yeah. And as the truth, capital T truth, he knows that he's in the right. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he he doesn't allow in his human um, in his humanity he doesn't allow other people's opinions other people's you know negative conceptions of him to kind of back him into a corner or like make him corner him into a place of, of undeserved shame yeah um, and sometimes people can do that sometimes people can corner us with their assumptions with their judgments um, and we can start to wonder well maybe they're seeing me more as I am than I see myself yeah and that's a dangerous place to be because it's very often than more often than not untrue. Yeah. Um, yes, there are situations where other people can see us um, more um, accurately than we see ourselves, but usually that's if we're in a place of like trauma or depression or mm-hmm. like you're just going through a hard time or maybe you're stressed, whatever. Like sometimes uh, the, the perspective of the other person can be clarifying, can be life-giving. When it's not, mm-hmm. that's usually not a good indicator. Yeah. Um, because you know, truth doesn't ever seek to degrade. Truth will chastise, but it doesn't ever. It's not ever going to try to diminish you. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard when we can feel like others misunderstand us or don't take the time to get to know us before they judge us. Yeah. But we can act like Jesus did, who he didn't feel the need to be defined by by the projections of other people. He didn't feel the need to to kind of get defensive, um, to start to to backtrack what he was doing, yeah. um, because like I said, he knew he was in the right and he was able to act from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that a lot with like what we believe. Mm-hmm. People, you know, when I was young. People would tell me what I believed as a Catholic, mm-hmm. and I'd always be like, "Oh my gosh, like that's miserable, like <laughs> that's horrible." And then you know, and then to know what the truth is now as an adult, to be able to say, "Okay, man, who told you that? Yeah. Like, let me tell you the real truth about what we believe, what I believe, mm-hmm. and how beautiful, or why we believe that." You know, and so, I mean, ugh, man, and I'm a words of affirmation person, so when somebody comes at me with words, I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm "You're right, <laughs> I'm horrible," <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like. It's, I, that's something that I've really worked on is to be like un, kind of unfettered because I know what the truth is. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Well, and I like think too about, you know, so God is love. God is truth. 
So that like any kind of truth will involve love right. and any love will involve truth. Um, that's something that Benedict talks a lot about. So like if someone's saying something to you um, or, you know, check yourself, if, if you're saying something to someone else that may be truthful, but is not given in love, is not given. And what is love? Love is wanting the good of the other. If I'm not saying something to someone in the, in the hopes that they'll become better because of it, then I'm not actually acting in service of the truth. I'm probably more likely acting in my own selfish interest or, I don't know, out of a need to make myself feel better about something. And so in the reverse, when I can estimate in someone's interaction with me that, okay, like what they're saying is not actually something that's intended to make me feel better. It's intended to make me feel worse. It's not going to make me a better person. It's going to make me go sit in my room for a week and just kind of like think about all of my choices. Um, So I can pretty much be assured that this is not something that's coming from from the truth from love himself so i, I i'm going to do my best to set it aside right right all right so the third thing jesus knows when to ignore that's a good segue yep. um so thinking about um that time in the scriptures when when jesus kind of makes all of his neighbors and his former friends in nazareth mad um they're so worked up that they decide to throw him off a cliff you remember that yeah yes. that makes sense so <laughs> Jesus, he sees that there's there's no reasoning with these people. Um, he what is that? He walks through the crowd. Um, he ignores their rage, and then it says, you know, in Luke four, quote, he went on his way. And I always found that um, that particular story so interesting because I'm like, how would this like angry crowd of people just miss him? Like he just walks through the crowd and just goes on his way. And I, I mean, like think about what a frenzy we can work ourselves up in when yeah. we get angry yeah. to the fact that, yeah, we do forget what we're angry about mm-hmm. and, and we can get fixated on just about anything and lose sight of what we were actually angry about in the first place, if yeah. it was real or not. Yeah. We're like yelling at the wall, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, I mean, think about like the madness of that crowd and Jesus was just like, so again, recollected and calm that he, he, you know, transcended their anger by just walking through it. Yeah. By just wading through it. And so sometimes difficult people will throw tantrums. They'll speak harshly. They'll treat us in an abusive way. And that's something that we see happening online all yes. the time. Um, but that's usually a cue to disengage and walk away. Yes. Don't <sighs> engage in those conversations online where everybody's just yelling at each other. Done. Yeah. Just don't. Just don't do it. And if you feel like a need to respond to someone in real life or online, like immediately, if you feel the need to like, if you feel urgency about it, don't don't give in walk away come back to it if you feel the need to come back at all mm-hmm. um so basically like jesus knew how to keep his blood pressure in check um and he he, he kept his eye on the prize and he's like okay like i'm not getting anywhere here i'm gonna i'm gonna let this frenzy like do its thing but i'm gonna walk away i'm not gonna stay here and watch right. it happen um and so you know of course we if we do have to deal assertively with with someone who is is acting like this in person a face-to-face discussion might help but usually not in the moment sometimes yeah. you might have to just say I'm going to need to talk to you about that tomorrow. Yeah. And you just hike out. Bye. All right. So the fourth thing, Jesus is not defensive. Um, So in Mark 10, um, James and John, actually, this was our gospel today. Mm -hmm. um, If you're listening to us live, Jesus, James and John say to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Super bold. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can kind of think about like, I don't know if if you, even if someone said that to you, like, all right, now I need you to do me a favor and I need you to give me like whatever I ask for. Are you cool with that? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I would be immediately just, no. I'm, yeah. Whatever you ask, no. <laughs> I don't want to give you pass. anything. Yeah. You owe me. You owe me. You yeah. Owe me. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
And so it's kind of be like overstepping boundaries maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. But Jesus is not, he's not needy. He's not uh, codependent. Like any of, none of that is threatening to him. He can receive them as they are and Mm -hmm. say, okay, what do you want? Um, But he also knows when to say no and when to say yes. Because Mm -hmm. again, like he is love himself. He knows what is the good of the other. Um, and he doesn't beat himself up about it if the the response doesn't make other people happy. Right. Um, and again, that's a hard lesson to learn because I feel like a lot of people, especially in our generation, are yeah. people pleasers. Yeah. Yes. We're yes, ma'ams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like and and like let's say I I say something and the other person disagrees with me. Um, or like if, if if we're trying to like resolve an issue and they they disagree with how it should be resolved, then like my inclination is to just kind of like give a little bit yeah. and give a little bit until maybe they get what they want. Um, and like, I'm getting better at that because, you know, you eventually have to realize like, all right, not everyone's going to be happy, but it doesn't mean that you're not doing a good job. Um, and so sometimes people can demand more for from us than what we can give them. And they'll try to sway us with like guilt trips or just like emotional manipulation, whatever. Um, but we know it when we find ourselves bending over backward, trying to satisfy a need, um, real or perceived in someone who's just kind of needy, kind of clingy. Mm. Um, And I I always go back to that, like, is the need in this person real or is it perceived? And usually it's usually perceived, Mm -hmm. (laughs) usually not real. Um, But yeah, but Jesus doesn't try to people please. Um, He, he doesn't need to protect himself from other people. It's not that he's, he's insensitive to their needs. He wants to give them their heart's desires, but he also knows that, that God's will is enough security for them, that, that they will be safe there. Um, even if it doesn't mean getting everything that they quote want. Um, and the last thing, Jesus is flexible. Um, so he, he's open to the other person, which means that, that he's willing to receive them as they are. Um, and so think about like Matthew 15, you have the Canaanite woman who demands that, that Jesus heal his daughter. Jesus initially says no. Um, but then he's moved by the woman's response of faith and, and he heals her daughter. Um, so he approaches others with an open mind, which is not to say that like in the mind of God, he didn't know that he would, he would heal that one. No, but he allowed himself in his humanity to be affected by her right. and, and moved with compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because that's who Jesus is. Um, so even when he had preconceived notions, even when he's, you know, he had, the crowd around him is like, oh, I don't know, stay away from her. He allows the spirit to move him and to, to go against like the, the instinct of the, of the time of the day. Um, and so when a difficult person approaches us, we might think, oh, I don't know, okay, great. Like, I don't really want to deal with this person. Or I know how this is going to end. I know how this is going to go. We have to remember that, that Jesus keeps an open mind um, and also re- remembers that people aren't static. You know, the same person who comes to you, uh, who came to you three years ago with an issue and handled it poorly is probably not going to be, hopefully not going to be the same person who comes to you today with an issue um, and, and tries to get it resolved. So we have to like remember that that just like we're changing and growing, other people are too. Well, what, if, what if that's the way that the Lord, you know, we approached the Lord and he was like, oh, <laughs> no, no, she's back. Like, yeah. And you might think that he does, but he doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) He's always happy to receive. But yeah, I mean, we do that, but like we aren't received that way. Right. Um, And then you never know, like the spirit might move you or maybe the the person who's normally difficult to act in a different way, in an unexpected way. That's happened to me in my job, um, dealing with different people in different like situations. You know, I go into it thinking one thing's going to happen and then something completely different happens and I'm left being really humbled because I didn't expect it and I probably should have. Yeah. 
but yeah, so when we're when we're coming up against these situations, they're things that happen every day, they're things that we have to live with. But in the end, like always always coming back to scripture, always coming back to how like the person of Jesus Christ in his divinity, in his humanity, can help us to not only live better lives, but to pursue holiness in a way that, that gives respect to other people. Yeah. Yeah, difficult people, difficult events are always gonna be a part of our life. But Jeff, you know what's not difficult? That part of the show that we like to call the CU Pick of the Week. Yes, indeed. Mr. Blackwell, tell us what you got this week. Oh, me? Yes. Well, I'm going to be one of the girls more often. Uh Uh, Welcome. uh, No, uh, uh, there's a a group um, uh, of young adults over uh, the North Shore uh, in Louisiana, for those of you who are not from the area, there's Lake Pontchartrain. <laughs> South of Lake Pontchartrain is New Orleans, mm-hmm. and north of uh, Lake Pontchartrain is, uh, is, uh, are the towns of uh, Mandeville mm-hmm. and uh, what Covington, Covington Slidell. Madisonville. Uh, yeah. Madisonville, sure. Pontchartrain. So uh, Stella, this is where the, uh, the Stella Morris Films, and, and it's, it's spelled M-A-R-I-S, like Stella Maris mm-hmm. Films. I think they pronounce it Morris. Yeah. But they released a documentary called Hand of the Master the art and life of dom gregory dewitt and this is a documentary about a remarkable artist theologian in 1915 he became a benedictine priest and uh, he painted murals in catholic churches throughout europe and in the united states but his story goes so much deeper than that and and his style of art is just totally different uh, in fact, uh, in South Louisiana, there uh, the uh, the Abbey over in um, help me out here Covington, Covington. Mm-hmm. yeah, uh, is and I, it's referred to sometimes as Saint Ben's, mm-hmm. but it's Saint Joseph, Saint Joseph, Saint Joseph, Saint, Abbey. Saint Joseph Abbey, yeah. But it's in Saint Benedict's, Louisiana. Okay. Technically, I don't. I don't. But you can know. you can actually uh, you know uh, Google it and you can see some of the artwork uh, there in their church, uh, Sacred Heart Church in mm-hmm. Baton Rouge. Yep. Uh, you know, benefited from uh, the art. Uh, what do they call the uh, in the dome up there above the altar where Jesus has his arms outstretched? Um, I know sometimes there's a, a slang. For yeah, they refer to him as scary the, the, Jesus. The scary yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he's got a very uh, but, stern look on his face. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but his style of art. Uh, I'm talking about um, uh, Dom Gregory DeWitt is is definitely different, but it is so beautiful. So he's painted murals in, in churches, like I say, throughout Europe and the U.S. Uh, some people just absolutely couldn't stand his work. Others adore it. Uh, but filmmaker David Michael Warren tells the story by using original audio recordings from Dom Gregory himself, which was remarkable. Uh, he died in 1978. Uh, he actually born in 1892 to 1978. He, he lived a, a pretty full life. And I went to com to find out more about his memorial. Wow. And... Uh, they couldn't find it where his grave is, but they oh. got a great bio piece. So the, Excellent. the, the links are in the show notes. I, uh, Excellent. Uh, cool. All right, Olivia, the, what you got? Yes. All right. So I have a, a book that I'm currently reading called The Read of God by Carol Houselander. And it's like a spiritual classic, but I never heard of it um, until Danielle um, in my office told me to read it. And um, and I'm only about like halfway through it, but it is really, really good. It's, it's very scriptural, um, but also like how we can like engage more in a relationship with sure. Christ. So The Read of God. Cool. Kathleen. Okay. <laughs> All right. You guys know how I love a good truck stop and a good travel yes. plaza. This past couple weeks, I went to Houston and I have stumbled upon the mecca of Bucky's. <laughs> oh this gosh. place has got everything. A jerky wall. What? All kinds of gummies. 
Slurpees at the end caps. Bucky's stuff. I almost wore my shirt, but I did bring my cup if you're watching online. Y'all, I made a video when I went there on the way and on the way back. This place, they had the happiest people. They make brisket. They're like, what do you want, brisket? I'm like, yes, I do. Some of that, please, in, in my bag. I spent about $50 oh in the first go-round. It was fantastic. I got popcorn. I got jerky. I got beaver nuggets. I don't even know what these things are made of, but I ate them. I, I mean, and like for about 20 solid minutes, all I could do was walk around just going, <laughs> I couldn't even yeah. make a video at the first part because like I, I was, I mean, people are loving their lives. The bathrooms are immaculate. That's what Ed Ball said there. Yes. It, yeah. yeah. I wish y'all could hear Ed whooping and hollering in yes. the back here. There is a mile. And you know what is tragic though? I did find out that, um, Baton Rouge, our dear Baton Rouge was supposed to have a Bucky's, um, probably about five minutes from my current house. Uh-huh. I leave, I leave to move out of town for two years. I come back and we have passed up this golden opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I am ashamed of us. Oh. I don't even know. But, but anyway, so if you're on your way, they're, they're all over the place. The closest one to here in Baton Rouge is Beaumont. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find out how I can get to Houston. Oh my God. <laughs> Again, I might just have to take a road trip. Oh my God. Ugh, Bucky's. Anyways. Well, you know, Jeff, we're always grateful for Bucky's and for our viewers, our listeners, yeah. and our benefactors. Indeed we are. And this week, Catholic Underground is possible because of people just like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com slash donate. And portions of the Catholic Underground are brought to you by audibletrial.com slash catholicunderground. And there's more info at catholicunderground.tv. Excellent. Yeah, if you'd like the show notes for this episode, if you want to read up on all those saints or to to subscribe to podcast audio, go to catholicunderground.com. Our panelists this week have been Olivia Galino at, get ready, she got a new one, at the.real.omg. Yes. Oh, Chris is going to have it. Yes. Well, come back. Well, our technical director is Jeff Blackwell, jeffblackwell.us or at Jeff Black Wallace on the Instagram and the yeah. Twitter. Our research assistant and leader of the crew in the lab is Jim Hayes. He's so patient and good. Yep. Our video and graphics director is Ed Ball. We love him so much. You know me. I'm Kathleen Lee. You can follow me on Instagram at Kaylee626. Pretty simple. We hope we've helped you cut through the noise and find the still, small voice. We are the Catholic Underground. We are Faith Gun Digital, and we'll see you next time.